where three women with names discuss movies about something other than a man. Paid in Puke is hosted by Annie Malone, Christina Barr, and Jessica Baxter. It's also a spoiler-filled free-for-all. You've been warned. On this episode of Paid in Puke, we're discussing James Cameron's 1997 box office Leviathan and disaster epic Titanic, starring Kate Winslet, Francis Fisher, and Kathy Bates. And also a little bit Leonardo DiCaprio, <laughs> Bill Paxton, and Billy Zane. Titanic was called the ship of dreams. And it was. It really was. All right, open your eyes. everything I need right here with me. I figure life's a gift, and I don't intend on wasting it. You never know what hand you're gonna get dealt next. You'll learn to take life as it comes at you. When the ship docks, I'm getting off with you. Jessica Baxter. I'm Annie Malone. And I'm Christina Barr. And joining us today is a very special guest from the Bechtel Cast podcast, Caitlin Durante. Hello, thanks for having me. Caitlin, what is your relationship with the movie Titanic? Oh my god. I watched the movie in a drive-in movie theater. Oh, fun. When it came out. Huge brag. (laughs) Uh, And I've been in love with it ever since. So that was like I want to say spring of 1998 because it was in theaters famously for like a hundred weeks. And so the summer after that, it came out on VHS, the the famous two VHS tapes. So (laughs) you have to get this for me. So she bought me the two VHS tapes and I watched them every day, sometimes twice a day for an entire summer. There was like a three month span of time where I was doing nothing but watching Titanic pretty much. (laughs) It it did taper off (laughs) to me only watching it like one or twice a month now but this is a movie that I watch on a very very regular basis and it's one of my favorite movies of all time it's a perfect film and yet so many flaws (laughs) (laughs) how old were you when the movie came out oh I was 
11 going on 12. Okay, we're just a bit older. <laughs> There's varying ages, but we're all pretty settled in the middle age. I was 18 years old, freshman year of college. Nin- or sophomore year of college. What year is this, 97? 97, mm-hmm. yeah, was, yeah, yeah. I was 25. I was 19. Well, it was my freshman year of college, and I remember going home for Christmas. So it was such a big movie. It was like, oh, are you going to go see that while you're home on Christmas break? Yeah, it was out during that Christmas. Was it a Christmas Day release? <laughs> I'm happy to tell you. <laughs> release on, I think, December 8th. Oh, okay. 1997. But again, it was mm. in theaters for like Forever, months. Forever, yeah. Movies don't stay in theaters that long anymore it'll be like i don't know i feel like a few recent movies it was like a blip it was like oh they were theaters for 11 days and gone yeah it was just a juggernaut of a theatrical release they didn't want to say no to the money that kept rolling right (laughs) i feel like they have done that with some other movies but i can't think of them off the top of my head besides i guess lord of the rings they would do that with the first lord of the rings they did that with and then after that they're like well obviously it's gonna stick around for a while (laughs) i remember all the merch too like for titanic and Ooh. department stores and stuff like t-shirts with the movie poster and you know kate and leo on the <laughs> i don't know yeah to me titanic was a challenge i'm tina earnshaw i did the makeup the elements the costumes sometimes foundation can end up everywhere matt's fact a lasting performance is virtually touch proof you can change your clothes kiss somebody you can touch your face without having to touch up your makeup i wish i'd had it on titanic Lasting performance from Max Factor. Get James Cameron's Titanic, the collectible companion book to the blockbuster film, free when you buy Titanic on video cassette, now on sale, and $10 of Max Factor products. I just remember it being everywhere, like yeah. Titanic. Titanic stuff. mania. Yeah, ti- yeah. <laughs> Titanic yeah. mania, yeah. That's it was great. a cultural moment. It was. So what did you connect to when you saw it? What was the thing, the main thing that kept you coming back? The love story, I could take or leave it. I don't care at all about Jack and Rose and their, like, star-crossed romance. I tolerate it because (laughs) I know it's leading up to the good part of the movie, which is the disaster yeah second half of the movie so there's something about people in peril (laughs) that i love to watch and like the practical effects were amazing Mm -hmm. and i'm exaggerating i don't mind that you see whatever like an hour and 40 minutes of them falling in love but are they even falling in love i feel like they're just like young kids having a fling yeah they're just hot for each other it would never last there's no way that relationship was ever gonna be sustainable we just grow up be adults and die so okay sure these horny young people are just like they're on vacation and they're hanging out and then when things take a turn i'm like oh man this is awesome i cannot explain it because there are so many things about the movie that i don't think are particularly well done but the sum of the parts the whole of it is just Mm -hmm. like so captivating in a way that i feel like so many movies try and fail at well, that feels like a pretty good segue into our Hot Probs segment. Hot Probs, yeah. <laughs> Just shut up. Hot Probs is on. Oh, shit, yeah. Yes, it is a very entertaining movie with 
numerous hot props. Yeah. Annie, why don't you throw one out? My hot prop. <laughs> well, I just want to say, like, when I rewatched this, the first half I was not especially feeling it, but as soon as it becomes really a straight-up action movie, like, I think it works really well. And it is gorgeous in a way that I feel like movies aren't anymore. Like, the way movies look is so different now, Yeah. I think. But my biggest hot prop with this is basically the whole framing of old lady Rose telling her story, <laughs> telling her very detailed story that starts with the smell of the paint. It's been 84 years and I can still smell the fresh paint. The china had never been used. The sheets had never been slept in. Titanic was called the ship of dreams. And it was. It really was. Don't leave anything out, old roads, right? <laughs> so that whole thing, first of all, just that concept that this whole movie is her telling a story doesn't work, but also I don't even think you need. And then it comes to nothing. She tells this story for no reason. Like, they fly her and her dog there because they're looking for the necklace. She brings a goldfish, too. Right. And it's like, she tells this whole story, and then it's like, okay, see ya. <laughs> like, and for some reason, I'm going to throw this in the ocean. That's my hot prop with this movie is the phrase. I feel like you don't even need any of the modern day part. I feel like you could cut that whole thing out and just have the story of the Titanic and be a little bit shorter yeah. and yeah. would be fine. That's my hottest prop. Yeah, definitely going along with that. Does she need to talk about boning this guy? <laughs> These people she just met. Like one of the first things she says to them is, have you found the heart of the ocean yet? I, I was just wondering if you had found the heart of the ocean yet, Mr. Lovett. So she's straight trolling them. Yeah. She came there with it to right. secretly hold it in her hand and make them sit there for three hours and hear her story and then huck it in the ocean when no one's looking. <laughs> Hey, why'd she do that? That's a pretty epic sleuth move. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, why'd she throw it back? I right. don't know. I feel like it's this really clunky, like it's trying to show some lesson of a rich person learning that money isn't what really matters, but the takeaway shouldn't be like, so then you throw money away, you know? Like, so just waste it, you yeah. know? How many people could she have, like, put through college? Yeah, at least her granddaughter, right? More than the Hulk diamond. The theory goes that the crown diamond was chopped too, recut into a heart-like shape that became known as the heart of the ocean. Today it would be worth more than the Hope diamond. It was a dreadful heavy thing. I only wore it this once. Why are you such a mega bitch? Yeah. This is a, like, multi-tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars worth piece of jewelry that you could sell to whoever, but, like, then that money could just go towards something good. Yeah. Right. Like, she doesn't have right. to keep the money. It is not <laughs> an endearing quality that she throws it away. <laughs> Although she does make a really hilarious noise. <laughs> That is great. And then it's also just funny to think of, like, if she's telling this story, how much of this is she just making up? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> the parts where she's not there at yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> and then also, I feel like she trolls Cal because she purposely puts the drawing and she's like, go back to my stateroom, draw me naked, put it in the safe where yeah. I know my fiancé checks all the time. Right. <laughs> yeah, but that's a baller move. Like, Cal deserves to be trolled, so. That's okay. fair. That is fair. Troll him all day. But I do feel like she's just kind of a prankster that <laughs> <laughs> I like her. Do you have any hot probs? 
that you want to talk about, Caitlin? Oh, <laughs> a lot. Um, <laughs> I hate the way Jack and Rose meet. The movie's understanding of like suicidal ideation is really weird, <laughs> and him saving her from that, and just like their whole meet cute is like <laughs> one of the most bizarre meet cutes I've ever seen in a movie. Don't do it. Stay back. Don't come any closer. Come on. Just give me your hand. I'll pull you back over. No. Stay where you are. I mean it. I'll let go. No, you won't. What do you mean, no, I won't? Don't presume to tell me what I will and will not do. You don't know me. Well, you would have done it already. You're distracting me. Go away. I can't. I'm involved now. You let go, and I'm I'm gonna have to jump in there after you. And there's no reason it needs to be like that. I understand her feeling trapped in the constraints of this, like very oh whatever, all these like societal pressures and stuff. But I hate the way they meet, and like I said, I don't like most of the romance after that. And when I was younger, I didn't have the whatever language or understanding to figure out why. But now I realize. It's because, like, Jack is so pushy. He's always like, Rose, do this. Rose, do that. Come on, come on. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and he's constantly being like, no, 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 Jack, I couldn't possibly. And she's, like, telling him no all the time. He's always pushing her boundaries and, like, not respecting her boundaries, all this stuff. Mm. And so I don't like that. And that relationship, everyone's so sad when... Jack dies at the end. Oh, I'm crying. Oh, there is room for him on the door. <laughs> Stop it. Stop. I don't want to ever hear that argument again. It's not a matter of space. It's a matter of fluency, number one. Right. Number yeah. two, I don't care that he dies because he... Well, that's not... That sounds really mean. <laughs> and the movie has also... It tries to handle class in a way, but I, I also think there's some weird things with like socioeconomic class in this movie. Mm -hmm. But so I don't like that like all the poor people die, obviously, and Jack being one of them. But I'm not sad that he dies from a romantic narrative point of view because it's like he served his purpose. Like he mm -hmm. sort of helped her overcome this difficult moment she was having. She just kind of needed inspiration to break out of her shell and gather the courage to leave this piece of shit guy, Cal, and strike out on her own, which sure, that would have been a very risky thing at the time, especially since she and her mom, women relied on men and their wealth for survival during this time, obviously. Our situation is precarious. You know the money's gone. Of course I know it's gone. You remind me every day. Your father left us nothing but a legacy of bad debts hidden by a good name. That name is the only card we have to play. I don't understand you. It is a fine match with Hockley. It will ensure our survival. How can you put this on my shoulders? Why are you being so selfish? I'm being selfish. seamstress. Is that what you want? To see our fine things sold at auction? Our memories scattered to the winds? Yeah. So it was risky of her to jeopardize that relationship with Cal, but she needed to because she was so unhappy and he's an abusive piece of shit. So Jack serves his function to like get her out of this <laughs> 
funk or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but follows her life and then yeah. she thrives. So yeah. I'm fine with Jack dying at the end of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I completely agree that that relationship would not have lasted. I mean, if they right. had run away together in New York, she might like slum it with him for a, a couple of weeks until. <laughs> a couple weeks yeah. Off. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but obviously, like, she didn't live as a poor person. She, like, all those pictures of her traveling around. Like, right. She definitely used money to her advantage, right. you know, to go to Egypt and all of that. You can't do that with no money. Wait, that's the other thing. How she's like, oh, the woman in the picture is me and they don't necessarily believe her at first and then she tells her very long story and it's like you could also just show them a picture of yourself when you were young like the picture that he made looks exactly fucking like her <laughs> and she brought so many pictures right. with her. i always bring my pictures with me just like the slaves do on slave ships that's another hot prob that calling it a slave ship it was a ship of dreams to everyone else to me it was a slave ship taking me back to America in chains. Outwardly, I was everything a well-brought-up girl should be. Inside, I was screaming. Yeah, the slaves always brought their pictures with them for to decorate their stateroom. Yeah, I feel like that's just a prop with Rose, though, because it's very, oh, yeah. like, yeah. on brand for her dramatic, right. sad rich girl. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I know she is oppressed. You can always sell me on, like, rich people can be unhappy. You know, I can sympathize with a rich person in a movie really easily. I do. It's just the specifically, like, let's not. Yes. Rose, let's <laughs> not. This isn't it, Rose. Yeah. Going back to the meet cute, she's going to, like, jump, and she's on the other side of the railing, and Jack is like, you would have done it already if you were gonna do it. And it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. Right. I I dare you to do it. Definitely like, don't work at a suicide hotline. Yeah, right. seriously. Good lord. I was also wondering how they had a photograph of the diamond. Maybe you have a hot tip about that. <laughs> I don't. That might just be a plot hole. I'm guessing there's a photograph of it before Cal bought it for Rose. Maybe and the there easily could have been like a turn of the century photo of it. But the photo they show in the movie, I don't know, it just looks too modern for <laughs> yeah. it. It's been taken in like 1901 or something. Similarly how when Rose is like, I want you to drop me like one of your French girls. <laughs> and then she's like, as a paying customer, I expect to get what I want. And then she throws a dime at him. But it's a yeah. dime with, like, Roosevelt. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Like, before he was president and would have been on a dime. <laughs> so there's some oh, anachronistic issues. Yeah. I was also wondering about the bird when she flips the guys the bird in the elevator. I was like, is that a thing yet? I don't know. <laughs> when they invented the middle finger. <laughs> right. I don't know the origin of the middle finger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely some like tween fantasy elements that are a little cringy at times. Mm. Also, I just have a problem with Jack when they're having the conversation about his sketchbook. She's like, oh, who are all these people? She's like insinuating that he fucked him, basically. And he's like, no, no, I wouldn't have fucked her. She was a one-legged prostitute. (laughs) And these were drawn from life? Well, that's one of the good things about Paris. Lots of girls willing to take their clothes off. You like this woman. You used her several times. Well, she had beautiful hands, you see. I think you must have had a love affair with her. No, 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 no. Just with her hands. 
She was a one-legged prostitute. See? Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, she had a good sense of humor, though. Oh, yeah. Jack is anti-sex worker. Um, yeah, also, right. going back to him being pushy, there's the scene where they're at the party below deck. Mm -hmm. And look, it looks yeah. like a fun party. I would go to that for sure. But there's the moment where Jack is like, come on, Rose, dance with me. And she's like, no, no, no. And I get it. Like, narratively, this is telegraphing to us that he's breaking her out of her shell. She's this uptight, rich person. She needs <laughs> to learn to loosen up. But the way that this manifests a lot of the time is Jack just seeming really aggressively pushy and, again, like, not respecting her boundaries. He's like, come on and dance with me. And she's like, no, no, I couldn't possibly. And he's like, come on. And he kind of grabs her and he says, we have to get closer now. I'm going to dance with her now, all right? Come on. Come on. Come with me. Jack. Jack, wait. I can't do this. We're going to have to get a little bit closer. Like this. You're still my best girl, Cora. Go with me. Don't think. Fabrizio too. That Reed asked <laughs> Fabrizio. for consent. It was like, is this the only man in the movie that asks for consent ever? Right. Yes. Yeah. Fabrizio rules. <laughs> yeah, way into Fabrizio. He, yeah, he got done dirty. Although yeah. I heard about a deleted scene, or I don't know if it was a deleted scene, maybe you know Caitlin, or if they just never filmed it. But Cal was supposed to hit him with an oar. Like he doesn't get hit by the stack. He swims away from the stack and makes it to a boat where Cal's on the boat, and then Cal hits him in the head with an oar, and wow. he drowns. <laughs> I have the answer to this. Yes, it's true. This is in an early draft of the script. Oh. So, <laughs> and I urge everyone to read the screenplay of Titanic, even though it is 5,000 pages long. Okay. It is so overwritten. Screenwriting is all about like minimalism and efficiency yeah. and using yeah. as few words as possible to paint a visual picture when you're telling your story. <laughs> Just like paragraphs and paragraphs of prose. Anyway, so it doesn't I, do a minute of hate. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But this early draft of this script has a few changes. One of them is yes, Cal kills Fabrizio, and I don't know why. I never found out why that change was made. So that in the actual finished movie, he dies by getting hit by the smokestack. And I don't think they filmed it that way. It was just like in an early draft of the script. Because mm. mm. if we couldn't already hate Cal enough. I know. Right? <laughs> Goodbye! 
it's rough to see beautiful Billy Zade and then have him be such I a know. piece of shit the whole time. I was not even anti-Cal until he throws the table. And then obviously when he hits her. But I mean, yes. it's just like... Well, I have, a, I have a segment within a segment, actually. Oh, because no. we have a segment called Patronizing Bunny Rabbits when an actor-director does something fucked up to their co-star or or lead uh, to get them to act a certain way. All we want is to be treated like human beings, not to be experimented on like guinea pigs or patronized like bunny rabbits. You probably already know this, that Cal improvised the table flip. <laughs> oh. Oh, I don't know if I did that. I'm not a foreman in one of your mills that you can command. I'm your fiance. My fiance! Yes, you are! And my fucking. My wife can practice, if not yet by law, so you will honor me. You will honor me the way a wife is required to honor a husband. Because I will not be made out of fool, Rose. Is this in any way unclear? No. Good. Excuse me. Which is not cool, not cool Billy Zane. <laughs> the scene is good. Yeah. It's terrifying. The ends don't justify the means. No, like I mean, we know Kate Winslet right. can act. You don't need to do right. That you to can her. just say, "What if I flip the table?" Let's do a cut like that. After we recorded this episode, Vulture published an interview with Billy Zane, where they asked him to clear up this apparently erroneous rumor. Here is his response: It wasn't in the moment. I'm trying to remember how we arrived there. I think it was simply, why go around it, go through it. For the sake of good copy, I'll say yes, but it feels like one of the many conversations I had with Jim. He's a great collaborator. He inspires and encourages contributions. In this case, it's a good place to get a sense of establishing possible boundaries and where they're broken, and danger from this character. We wanted him to be explosive, and it seemed like a well-placed point to perhaps establish levels of threat. So did Kate know you were going to flip the table? Oh, I would never have done that just randomly. It would have been dangerous and inappropriate. There's improv, and then there's chaos. As I recall, it was discussed. It was agreed upon, and the question was, how many dresses do we have? How many place settings? It was all about contingency. I remember the wardrobe department being very grateful. I think we did it about six times, and we only got a drop of orange juice on one dress. Somehow the thing always flew in the direction of the camera, and she was safe from harm, which is more important. I would never have just done something like that with glassware. It was not improv per se, but it was arrived at on the day. It seemed to be an effective choice. Also, like, Kate Winslet got hypothermia Aww. during shooting. It's not hard to believe. It's like, I don't know, make the water warmer. James. Yeah. James. I know, that's where he saves money. <laughs> I can't afford to heat the water. Sorry. It's like, yeah. we're over budget. We gotta, <laughs> we gotta make this water cold. I always feel bad for any actor in water because it's... Oh, God. I you know. know they're just in there for hours and no matter how nice... The production is to them, it's still gonna suck. Yeah, I, I read the fact about her getting hypothermia too, and that she didn't say anything. <laughs> and she almost drowned too, oh I think. Oh my god. Jeez. One of the takes where she goes to grab the key underwater at the oh. gate, the locked gate, and her dress got caught. And oh she my god. She couldn't come oh, back up. Oh, but then at the last second, she could come up, but I she mean, didn't say anything. There should be she like a whole crew filming. that's there for that reason. Right. Make sure. Jesus. I don't patronize bunny rabbits. I actually remember another hot prop of mine with that. <laughs> Did you find See, Yeah. <laughs> I found one. Like the coat she's wearing, she has to keep wearing it because, right. you know, it's in the end diamond. it's got yeah. the diamond in it, but it's like, you would lose that coat so quickly. That would like be so heavy on you. Yes, you're like in the water in it. Yeah, that seems... 
Totally. Although, I mean, and amazing like, that it doesn't fall out of the pocket ever. Yeah. Good pocket. That was definitely before they invented pockets and dresses, so. Right. <laughs> I don't know if this counts as a hot prop or not, but okay, so after Jack and Rose have smooched in the back seat of the car and they had sex there, they come back on deck and they're like giggling and laughing and kissing and you know, they're in their like post-coital high and excitement <laughs> and the lookouts are looking at them and watching them and one of them says something very homophobic. That's what it takes for us to be a woman from the north. It's always saving you. <laughs> and then they kind of look up and they're like, oh my god, there's an iceberg right there. Fuck me! Basically, Jack and Rose caused the Titanic to sink because the lookouts were distracted by them. <laughs> that's why they didn't spot the iceberg in time, and that's why Titanic crashed into the iceberg. Right. Oh, wow. And that's pretty bad. Historical <laughs> yeah. Lesson learned, guys. Dear diary, my teen angst bullshit has a body count. Don't fuck on a boat. You and could that's cause why it. you don't yeah. fuck someone you just And like the one armed guy shows up, and that's why. <laughs> also, the thing with the captain of the ship, you know, they show this like stoic view of him. The captain goes down with the ship kind of thing. Even though everybody's oh, going he is down. So unhelpful. Yeah. I mean, he had like caved to the pressure to speed it up. Yeah. Right. So it would be in the papers and then like. And not have like, enough lifeboats. It's like, this is all you're making and. <laughs> it boils down to, right, it's like toxic masculinity in male fragility is why Titanic <laughs> right. ultimately sunk because they're like, oh, we built this awesome ship. It'll never sink. And it's like, as Mr. Andrews says, She's made of iron, sir. I assure you, she can. And she will. It is a mathematical certainty. But it's these guys with these, like, inflated egos. Right. Being like, oh, we don't even need lifeboats. Our ship is so freaking cool. <laughs> and nothing will ever happen to it. So, right. that's, and at the end of the day, toxic masculinity. So, right. Yeah. And that, like, it's men who invented the, like, women and children first. Because it's mm -hmm. basically like, fellas, is it gay to survive? <laughs> yeah. <You know>, like... <laughs> yes. <laughs> I do really like Cal's line. Any room for a gentleman, uh, gentlemen? I need women at this time, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh my god, his whole thing about stealing a child. <laughs> I have a child! Oh, I have a child! I have a child! she has in the world. Also, I was thinking how useless flares are at the end there. When they shoot up a flare, it's gone in like a second. It just looks like fireworks. Or yeah. yeah. <laughs> fireworks last longer, I think. Right. You're so right. The hubris. I mean, I guess that's why it's a metaphor. Right. Like that need to be the best, the biggest, the fastest, the strongest. Exactly. You know. Have you heard of Freud? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to convey sheer size. And size means stability, luxury. And above all, strength. Do you know of Dr. Freud, Mr. Ismay? His ideas about the male preoccupation with size might be of particular interest to you. He could have saved us a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> For real, my God. Freud, who is he? Is he a passenger? Next call. All right, well, it sounds like it might be a good time to go into meaningful passages. Uh, yeah, meaningful passages. I've already started underlining meaningful passages in her copy of Moby Dick, if you know what I mean. That's any lines that you enjoy or feel strongly about, one way or the other. <laughs> Caitlin, what do you got? I mean, 
I'll preface this by saying that most of the dialogue in this movie is clunky. <laughs> Cameron, you know, he knows practical effects. He can tell an overall cinematic story quite well. As far as writing dialogue that makes any sense goes, that is not his strong suit. So there's a lot of lines where you're just like, what are you even saying? Uh, let's see. I like when Jack looks at her ring and he's like, you would have gone straight to the bottom. Yeah, I like that. What I was thinking was, what could have happened to this girl to make her think she had no way out? It was everything. It was my whole world and all the people in it and the inertia of my life plunging ahead and me powerless to stop it god look at that thing you would have gone straight to the bottom i don't know if he's like trying to make light of her depression <laughs> i'm not sure what's happening mm. there but it's just and then uh, no oh someone else go I do really love Cal's line, even though it's so on the nose and the whole plot is so ridiculous that Rose is some savant at recognizing art talent, but <laughs> something Picasso, he won't amount to a thing, is very funny. Yeah. <laughs> the difference between Cal's taste in art and mine is that I have some. They're fascinating. Like being inside a dream or something. There's truth, but no logic. What's the artist's name? Something Picasso. <laughs> something Picasso? He won't amount to a thing. He won't, trust me. Let's put the Degas in the bedroom. <laughs> At least they were cheap. I thought he got a good burn. When he makes them think that Jack stole the diamond and he's like, maybe he did it while you were putting your clothes back on. <laughs> don't you believe it, Rose? Don't! He couldn't have. Of course he could. It's easy enough for a professional. Come on. But I was with him the whole time. This is absurd. Perhaps he did it while you were putting your clothes back on, dear. Burn. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. I like what Rose says, you unimaginable bastard. <laughs> you know, it's a pity I didn't keep that drawing. It'll be worth a lot more by morning. You unimaginable bastard. Such a good insult. Yeah. I yeah. say that to people. It's a great <laughs> insult. I love that line. And then I like, there was like one of the Irish passengers, it's hit the iceberg and everybody's running around and he passes the string section and he's like, music to drown by, now I know I'm in first class. <laughs> <laughs> music to drown by, now I know I'm in first class. That is very good. Yeah. Another part that I quote all the time, the ship is sinking, Jack has come upon one of the closed gates. And they're like, let us through. And the crewman's like, go back the way you can, whatever. And you see Jack pause for a minute, and then he just grabs the gate, and he just says, God damn, son of a bitch! And he's like, right <laughs> Open the gate. Go back down the main stair. Open the gate right now! Go back down the main stairwell like I told you! God damn it! Son of a bitch! Stop that! Anytime I'm like very frustrating, I just like scream. It's a very therapeutic yeah. thing to just scream out. Yeah. <laughs> it feels great. <laughs> That reminds me of something my kids thought was really funny, and so now I think about it a lot. When he gets in the water and he just goes, shit, 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 with yeah. it because it's so cold. Oh shit, this is cold. Oh shit, shit, shit. And apparently that was Leo ad-libbing because it was it so fucking so cool. cold. Oh god, that would be <laughs> And me. James Cameron kept that in. That's gonna be me getting into any water ever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I also really liked when she does the foot thing at the poor people party and <laughs> poor and one party. of the Irish people says, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, <laughs> off camera. Let's see you do this. 
Good Irish. You like it. Like oh, I like the part where Rose is talking about like the rich guys who are gonna go smoke their cigars. And she's just like, now the men are about to retreat into a cloud of smoke and congratulate themselves on being masters of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> Next, it'll be brandies in the smoking room. Well, join me in a brandy, gentlemen. What a good idea. Yes. Now they retreat into a cloud of smoke and congratulate each other on being masters of the universe. And like Rose. She knows what's up. <laughs> yeah. She's seen it before. That's a big ass is not a great line, but it sticks in your head. That's a big ass. <laughs> yeah. That's a big ass. We're talking 20, 30,000 tons. The stern rises up. Slow at first and faster and faster until finally she's got her whole ass is sticking up in the air. And that's a big ass. We're talking 20, 30,000 tons. Okay? And the hull's not designed to deal with that pressure. It is. It's a very big ass. That's thick. Thank you for that fine forensic analysis. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I wrote this down. I think it's the old woman. A woman's heart is a deep ocean of secrets. God. <laughs> I don't know. It was just so dramatic. We never found anything on Jack. There's no record of him at all. No, there wouldn't be, would there? And I've never spoken of him until now. Not to anyone. Not even your grandfather. A woman's heart is a deep ocean of secrets. Wanted to say that James Cameron cannot dial it. Like he's just so funny. I want to get that tattooed on my like my heart. I just want to have it say like deep ocean of secrets. So funny. That would be really funny. Yeah, that would be great. I also like when Jack, you know, he's about to die and he's like, I'm tempted to write a strongly worded letter to the white star line about this. I don't know about you, but I intend to write a strongly worded letter to the White Star line about all this. That's cute. Yeah. I mean, a good lie, but this one has an asterisk by it, is when she says, I'd rather be his whore than your wife. Oh, yeah. Rose, come back Are you cold? Oh, God. To him? To be a whore to a gutter rat? Rather be his whore than your wife. Which is a good line, but we saw the exact line before on Twin Peaks. An episode with Billy Zane in it. Yeah. So. No kidding. This is it. It's over. Fine. Go ahead. Here's whore, Norma. I'd rather be his whore than your wife. So we, Norma we says it often to wonder yeah. if, uh, like, did if Billy Zane was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a great thing for her to say here. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, or if James Cameron was a big Twin Peaks fan, Ooh, just didn't I like that idea. Realize yeah. that it, it stuck into his head. It is a good line. It is. Anything Victor Garber says is just such a treasure too. Oh, what an icon! <laughs> I built you a good ship, Rose. Strong and true. <laughs> Sleep soundly, young Rose. I have built you a good ship, strong and true. She's all the lifeboat you need. But then he's sorry that he didn't build her a stronger yeah, ship. Yeah, <laughs> just for you, Rose. Won't you even make a try for it? I'm sorry, but I didn't build you a stronger ship, young Rose. I like how he was like, it is a mathematical certainty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I believe you get your headlines, Mr. Ismay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, I did like that. And how many aboard, Mr. Murdoch? 2,200 souls on board, sir. Well, I believe you may get your headlines, Mr. Ismay. And that's... Good comebacks, I'm realizing. Ooh, yeah. The characters look good comebacks in this movie. People are all about the sick burns. Yeah. <laughs> under duress here. <laughs> yeah. I like when Fabrizio says, I can see the Statue of Liberty already. Oh, <laughs> Jesus God in heaven. Why'd you have to kill such hot snatch? It's a joke, man. It's terrible what happens to him. Yeah, I know. Why can't they just have Fabrizio survive? I mean, just show him be in a boat. My gosh. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder how many. Do you know how many third class passengers actually did survive? Uh, okay. Did I go to the Titanic exhibit or exhibition <laughs> happening in Los Angeles right at this very moment? <laughs> yes, I did go. To it. And there's like a poster, like a plaque type thing that lists how many people were in each, like first class, second class, third class, and then how many of those people survived, as well as crew. Mm -hmm. First of all, there are way more crew than I thought there were. I don't remember the exact number, but it's like hundreds and hundreds of the people on the ship were crew. Like, oh, wow. yeah. they were like the people in the furnace area. I don't know the name. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know like what their job titles were. And then there's like the servers and just like the people bringing the rich people stuff. Anyway, yeah. I think the largest percent, and I did like calculations, I'm like, okay, what percentage <laughs> of like first class people survived? Obviously, the worst percentage was third class passengers. And I'm going to get these numbers wrong. This is strictly from memory. <laughs> There's something like only 10% of third class passengers survived, whereas closer to like 20 or 25 or maybe more percent of first class passengers survived. Mm. And then a lot of crew survived. Again, my numbers are not accurate, <laughs> but it's more just like yeah, percentage wise. Right. Definitely more like first class than third class passengers. This is something we already knew. Yeah. Right. I went to a Titanic exhibit at a museum. This was like long ago, like 15 years ago, but like you get a ticket at the beginning and it tells you what name you are and then you, you see if you survived or not. I died. Aww, <laughs> yeah. Just looking at those scenes with the furnace of people like shoveling the coal. That stuff is all like so horrible good. working conditions. Yeah. Horrid. Yeah. Ugh. That is absolutely the stuff that works so well in this movie. Let fool, Mr. Moody. Very good, sir. Full shoveling scene and then when Jack and Rose run through there again is so cool and I love the hallway that you see multiple times and then they eventually destroy the hallway mm -hmm. and obviously like the grand staircase and the dining room and seeing all that shit underwater and the body floating under the skylight like all that stuff is so effective yeah you should have just stuck to that I wanted to tell an effective story about class 
the main characters should have been more third class passengers mm. and like the working class people who were literally working on the ship, like in the trenches. Yeah. And so he's like, modifying <laughs> how this like rich white lady. Like, right. I mean, write what right. you know, I guess. Right. <laughs> and then it like rose. There's lots of things to like about her. Yeah, I don't know. James Cameron, he, he tries to do things that are like out of his wheelhouse, I think. <laughs> and then he usually flops it. Mm -hmm. Did he do the abyss? Yeah, because I was thinking about like all those like the water, and then he has like the, <laughs> the water Avatar sequel. Yeah, he's got a thing. He's pretty for into water. water. Yeah, yeah. He's, a yeah. Water guy. he's a water guy. <laughs> Did he leave his wife for the granddaughter of Rose? Susie Amos. Okay. Susie, mm -hmm. yeah. He did marry her, and that might be who he is still married. I'm, I'm not sure. Let me look it up. Who's he married to? But before <laughs> he was married to Linda Hamilton, I don't want to speak out of turn because I don't know the facts. I do know that at one point he was like partnered with Linda Hamilton, and then suddenly he wasn't, and suddenly he was partnered with <laughs> the actor who plays, yeah, Rose's right. granddaughter. Oh, yeah, and he was married to Catherine Bigelow. I'm sure of that. that. Okay. Right. Well, yeah. He, that too. I'm like, who? He yeah. had another. He is still, well, he's been, I looked him up, right? He's been married a lot of times, but he is still married to Susie Amos wow. since oh, wow. 2000. I thought so. I remembered that being like a tabloid thing. Yeah. But yeah, that's his fifth wife. <laughs> but, I mean, it seems like fifth <laughs> so, time's the charm. I mean, I guess so. 22 years, that's... That's, that's 22 years of being Especially married. by Hollywood standards, that's yes, like, that that's is. an eternity. Yeah. Man. That's like 84 years. <laughs> it's been 84 years. <laughs> Basically. It's been 84 years. Oh, yeah, that is that my favorite. That like I use that gift a lot. That's, when Matt and I haven't seen each other for like two days, we'll send that gift to each other. Oh, really? It's been That's 84 awesome. years. That's how horny I am right now. What else does a suicide need, huh? Now, if you'll excuse me. See, I have some fun facts. James Cameron went on 12 dives to the real Titanic. During his first trip, he filmed all the shots he wanted, but he was so into it that he went back 11 more times to just hang out wow. in the Titanic wreckage. What I always heard was he just wanted to make a movie about the Titanic wreckage, or like a documentary. And when he originally conceived of the idea of the movie Titanic, it was not about this romance and these star-crossed lovers, nothing like that. He just wanted to like shoot footage of the Titanic and explore the wreckage. Yeah. And the studios were like, no one's gonna pay, you need a story. <laughs> and he was like, okay, fine, I'll make a story around it. And it's, Titanic, but originally he just wanted to like go down and look at Titanic. <laughs> the interesting dude. <laughs> and then also he apparently gave every extra, or at least 150 extras, names and backstories of actual Titanic passengers. Oh, wow. Which nice. I think is really cool. <laughs> I love stuff like that. There's one character at the very end when the boat's like up in the air and people are just falling and falling. And there's one character who has a name and someone says, I forget what her name is, but basically they're like, hold on, so-and-so. And then she's like, Rah! Trudy. <laughs> Trudy, that's it, yeah. Trudy was, I think, Rose's servant or like... Oh, uh, that's Trudy, yeah. okay. So we had met her before. Oh. Have we met the lady that she makes eye contact with when she's hanging on to the mask? I think that's Fabrizio's girlfriend. Oh, A lot of these characters cool. come back. Like, we see a glimpse of them in earlier scenes, and then we see them again later on. Not all of them, but... 
That's really cool. Yeah, we get, I like we get that. some callbacks. And they don't spell it out either. Like, that's yeah, really good. cool. I like that. It's just so long ago that we met that lady. That, like, yes i know i like it when i three hours when i was gonna watch it again for the podcast i was just like gonna buckle up for the because it's three hours yeah. i haven't seen it in years but that's how it, long it any was, movie is now though. that's what <laughs> my kids were saying tonight they were talking about titanic it was, it was like, not like, now all movies are that long <laughs> i don't think there were that many gratuitous scenes or anything i feel yeah, i felt I like feel, it was I very love it. the pacing was fine yeah. i didn't it's a breezy three hours. Yeah. Yes. I was pleasantly surprised because I had not seen this movie <laughs> in ages. Maybe since it came out. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it several times in the interim for various reasons, but it's always enjoyable. <laughs> I have a very happy memory of watching it on Christmas Day with my friend. We just moved to London together and lived in this tiny apartment and didn't know anybody and it was on tv (laughs) and so we just sat there with our pizza and whiskey and watched titanic nice (laughs) and we started playing a drinking game where one of us picked rose and one of us picked jack and we would drink every time the character said the other's name and then we quickly stopped doing that yeah you did (laughs) we were trash and we didn't even make it through the movie doing that i forget where we stopped doing that but there was definitely a point where we're like all right never mind (laughs) (laughs) that's one of my fun facts where is it how many times they say each other's names it's a lot (laughs) toward the end all they're saying to each other is jack Rose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They say, yeah. Okay, here it is. Rose says Jack 80 times. Wow. And Jack says Rose 50 times. Oh. And that's, and that's good yeah. screenwriting. <laughs> <laughs> and then my last fun fact is just a little story about the last night of shooting. <laughs> this is just crazy. Oh, I think I know. I'm <laughs> The final night of shooting was in Nova Scotia, and they think it was a disgruntled crew member who had a beef with the caterer and put PCP in the clam chowder. The chowder. <laughs> 80 people, including James Cameron and Bill Paxton, Whoa. were tripping balls. James Cameron did make himself barf when he realized like people were acting weird. Grow up, Heather. Believe me, is so 87. And he didn't have quite as much of an effect from it, but he did get stabbed in the cheek by his AD. <laughs> Wow. Oh. And another another crew member was asking to see a priest and another crew member (laughs) oh no, the DP was leading a conga line. (laughs) I want so badly for there to be just a movie about that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or like a Ryan Murphy series. that night on set or like you know when they break for lunch or dinner or whatever that would be so yeah oh my god joe swanberg somebody great somebody really fun direct that (laughs) mike white you're hot right now (laughs) i mean hollywood loves movies about movies about movie making (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, what if catherine bigelow directed it ah yeah (laughs) so this is what's called a lunchtime poll the lunchtime poll question is inspired by Jack saying that he has no regrets about getting on the Titanic because he got to meet Rose and save her. Winning that ticket, Rose, was the best thing that ever happened to me. It brought me to you. And I'm thankful for that, Rose. I'm thankful. That's such a sweet thing to say. It's What's sweet that he says he has no regrets. It's I mean, very he's dying. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe it's the hypothermia talking. I don't know. But uh, what's something bad that happened to you that you see as a blessing in disguise? Let's go first. <laughs> I'll go first because I came up with this. I feel like this my whole year has been like that, but I'll say in May when I got COVID <laughs> and I had the best time having COVID. Well, because the main thing, well, I didn't get sick. I didn't get sick at all. So it was lucky that I knew I had it because I already yeah. gave it to a few yeah. people. My boss emailed me like a bunch of us got it. So I'm like, oh, I should test. It was like I was coming over to your house. Yeah. I'm like, let me just real quick do a test. <laughs> Whoops. It's positive. Sorry. So my kids are with me half the time and with their dad half the time. So he was fine to just have them. So it was this one, just this total staycation because I was home, like work was closed down. I didn't have my kids. I wasn't feeling sick. But the best part was I had just started dating this guy. And when I met him, he had just had COVID. So he was like in that sweet immunity (laughs) stage. So he was like the only person I could see. So he came over every day. It was like, he'd come over every morning and bring me coffee. And then we'd hang out and then he'd go work and then he'd come back. (laughs) and make me dinner it was like a little COVID honeymoon kind of it was just like the best time when we all were better and back to work and everybody at work was like talking about how they were so sick and their kids were sick and they still had to (laughs) take care of their kids while they were sick and I was like I had the best time (laughs) so everyone said I had princess COVID yeah (laughs) so getting COVID yeah absolutely would COVID COVID again the best COVID ever yeah I can go next when I was in college I studied abroad in France with a bunch of students that I went to school with. We had a week off and so we were gonna go on this trip to Spain. Well, long story short, we were all on the same train but it was so crowded. Me and this other girl who I didn't really know very well, we had to go a a few trains down and we didn't realize this was gonna happen but the train like split and like Half of the train went into Spain and the other, I don't know where the other half of it went, but we were separated from our group and we were so panicked and it was before cell phones. So we didn't know how to contact anybody. It actually ended up being a really fun time yeah. and, and we we became good friends. It was one of the best trips actually. Aww, so. that's great. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to go, Caitlin? <laughs> sure. Mine is also health-related. I had gallbladder problems. <laughs> I had all these gallstones in my gallbladder, and then, and then I had a gallbladder attack, and it was like the worst pain I've ever experienced, and it was just a whole mess as it was happening and then the aftermath of that was also very terrible because it was all these doctor's appointments and just like everyone giving me the runaround it was me having really bad health insurance because i couldn't afford better insurance so many hoops i had to jump through so much american health care system red tape and months and months and months went by before i could actually get the issue addressed get the surgery to have my gallbladder removed and all of that and it was just like a ongoing nightmare but i made a podcast of all art for yes, these the greatest of all the arts you know, if she had access to podcasts <laughs> back in the day she wouldn't have had Picasso paintings in her room she right. would have had podcasts yeah yeah <laughs> probably really? specifically ours and less luggage Yours, yes. as a result correct <laughs> 
<laughs> That's awesome. I'm not going to get too into the details of it because it's just the drama, drama, drama. But when I was in high school, my dad cheated on my mom <laughs> with a woman who had two kids. And that was not great for my mom or her family. But years later, I have a sister now that Aww. I'm really close to and is my stepsister. But we just call each other sisters and that's really nice. So... Sometimes dad's doing shitty things leads to his sisters meeting each other. <laughs> How very. Closing remarks about Titanic. You know what? I just want to say, because obviously this is a feminist podcast and we were trying to find the feminism in this movie. So what do we think is the most feminist thing about Titanic? Oh. I have a few thoughts. Yes. Yeah. If, if you'll indulge me. Of course. <laughs> um, I especially like, and this is something that is pretty rare to see on screen, and it was especially rare during this era, like the late 90s, but Rose and the romance, and specifically them having sex, is very much on her terms. Mm-hmm. Even though Jack mm-hmm. is, like, pushy and trying to get her to, like, spit and dance and stuff <laughs> like that, she's the one who's like, I don't want to see you. Okay, never mind. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. And now we're gonna kiss. And now I'm gonna drag you into the back seat of this car and make love to you. It's like very much her having the agency to embrace her sexuality and act on it. And it's her her choice. Like it's all in her terms, which is rare to see on screen because there's just like so much baggage around like women's sexuality from just a cultural mm-hmm. point of view. So I really appreciated that. I appreciate the part where Jack has to be saved by when he's like locked in handcuffs and she has to go find an axe and figure how to save him. There's a few moments where I feel that are particularly empowering. Mm -hmm. It's not something that lasts the whole movie. (laughs) Yeah. But there are moments. And he does ultimately save her, but or helps her. <laughs> right. But she does he say it's not up to. Every way a woman can be saved. <laughs> <laughs> but now you know there was a man named Jack Dawson, and that he saved me, in every way that a person can be saved. Yeah. What are you even saying, old Rose? <laughs> right. She had her first orgasm, I think is what she's saying. <laughs> she was like, oh, that's what that's all about. I do really like when she says, it's not up to you to save me. I did write that one yeah. down. And he says... And he says, you're right, only you could do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, she does give her a lot of good advice about where to be on the boat when it goes under. <laughs> I really like that she saves him. I thought that was mm-hmm. a really cool coming with the axe and like she broke him free and I mean she wasn't helpless. Yeah. Like it yeah, was it's a- pretty harrowing just even getting to where he is. You know, totally. Like, no one will slow down below yeah. and it's filling up with water. And she does keep asking for help from people, especially men that she sees in the hallway, and none of them help her. Right. They're all just like, either you come with me or you're on your own. Right. Although I do, I wouldn't help someone that pushed right when she swings the axe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like a female action hero. That's pretty cool. That's true. She looks amazing running with that axe. That's one of my favorite shots. Is just running down the hall with the axe in the dress. That's fucking rad. Yeah, (laughs) like her ability to do action tracks with her character. Like it wouldn't make any sense if she was suddenly like Sarah Connor in Terminator Two. Right. ripped and shooting guns awesomely and just like doing action in an amazing way like she's a very sheltered rich woman who would have never had any exposure to any need to do any kind of like gritty survival stuff 
So it sometimes bothers me that as they're like navigating the ship and like figuring out where to be and how to not die, <laughs> it's usually Jack who's like, okay, let's go over here. We have to do this. We have to do that. But he's like a working class stiff. Like he mm-hmm. has had to deal with intense, like, I don't know, real world dangerous survival situations, whereas she has never had to deal with that. So it attracts that she wouldn't be good at that and then she kind of has to follow his lead but then at the same time it was the creative choice to make it so that the woman doesn't know how to do things and the man does know how to do things so (laughs) it's like okay well what are the implications of these character choices that james cameron made it's complicated (laughs) right it's pretty interesting how he keeps writing women characters (laughs) and he's like one of the few auteur directors in hollywood who writes these pretty empowering female characters in huge blockbuster movies that so many people see i'm not saying he does it perfectly because there are certainly things to criticize about how he handles a lot of his characters but like ripley and aliens yeah sarah connor in the the terminator movies i don't remember who's in the abyss but like you know arguably moments in titanic (laughs) the rose like all kinds of stuff he's like doing a better job than most yeah he's trying he's he's definitely doing better than michael bay Yeah. <laughs> what other action directors come to mind? But that's like, yeah, they're like polar opposites, those two, in terms of masculine action directors. Well, thank you so much, Kaylin. Yeah. It's been really fun. It's great talking to you. <laughs> thank oh, you. Thanks for having me. What would you like to plug? Where can we find you on the internet? You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Caitlin Durante, and you can check out my podcast called The Bechtel Cast that I co-host with Jamie Loftus, and we analyze movies through an intersectional feminist lens, and we have covered Titanic, I think maybe like five or six times. Normally we just do each movie one time. (laughs) (laughs) We are both so obsessed with Titanic that we have multiple Titanic episodes. Oh, wow. Most of them are behind a paywall. Most of them are on our Patreon. So you gotta like have the exclusive (laughs) hookup to access them. But it's only $5 a month. So, uh, you know, it won't break the bank. You don't, you don't have to have a diamond's worth of money that would be worth more than the Hope diamond. <laughs> Before you throw your money in the ocean, give to the Patreon. Exactly. So, yeah, you can check out that podcast, The Bechtel Cast. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of Paid in Puke, Please take a minute to rate us highly on your preferred podcast listening apparatus. If you did not enjoy this episode, no further action is necessary. Paid in Puke is hosted by Annie Malone, Christina Barr, and Jessica Baxter. Music by Silent Partner. Follow us on Twitter at Paid in Puke Pod, on Instagram at Paid in Puke Seattle, and on Facebook at Paid in Puke Podcast. Thanks for listening. Lick it up, baby. Lick it up.